0: All righty. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs. My name is Ryan Rabinowitz, and I would like to welcome you. Yes, mark your calendars for a historic day as this is the first episode. Yes, the very first, the inaugural episode of the Motown Rundown coming to you from Studio H in the Impact 89 FM studio in the basement of Holden Hall on the campus of Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan. So, yeah, here we go. Motown Rundown Episode 1. I'm quite excited to do this. I'll tell you what. I've uh, I've been looking forward to doing this for, for a very long time. So I will – let me give you an intro to the show. So, basically, we're bringing you all things Detroit sports. We're talking Lions. We're talking Pistons. We're talking Red Wings. We're talking Tigers. Oh, my. Uh, We'll touch occasionally on, you know, all things Michigan State, University of Michigan, as the college sports pertain to our great state of Michigan. Uh, Eventually, like, look, you know, this is this is episode number one. So we're going to work through this together as as Detroit sports fans. I think that we will we'll laugh together. We'll certainly cry together. Uh, We know we'll hash out all things, you know, news, updates, scores, game recaps all things happening Detroit sports you will find it here on the Motown rundown as we move into the future i'd love to get the listeners involved if anyone is listening at all which i which i hope at least someone is i'm sure my mom and dad are listening that's lovely but we'll we'll get the listeners involved uh hopefully we can have have you guys tweet or call in or you know all that good stuff that technology has to offer we'll we'll get you involved because as i said you know as a Detroit sports fan as myself I understand that there is a we have a strong community of of suffering Detroit sports fans. So I want to hear what you guys have to say, your opinions on, on what we talk about. Uh we'll try to we'll try to do this, you know, once a week, maybe maybe once every two weeks. I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. You know, hopefully they don't they don't they don't cancel this immediately. So anyway, without further ado, let's get past the introductions. Again, Motown Rundown episode one. I am Ryan Rubinowitz, your fearless host, and, and we are going to talk some Detroit sports. So let's let's have some fun. So when we get into the first show here, I kind of want look, I, I understand that the, the Red Wing season, the Piston seasons are, are long gone, and, and they're probably seasons that we would like to forget. However, with this being the first episode, I kind of want to take a step back and and let's let's recap the seasons because I think that it's important to have somewhat of a foundation or, or, or some some framework for the show moving forward. So you guys you guys know where I stand or what what the layout is when we talk about Red Wings and Pistons. So we're gonna go all the way back to uh the Red Wings hockey season, which ended, you know, quite some time ago now. Let me just give you I'll give you the stats. We all know it was another dismal season. Uh the final record was thirty, thirty-nine and thirteen that was good enough. If you, can, I don't even know why you would call it good enough, but they finished fifth in the Atlantic, tied for the fifth worst record in the NHL. Uh, the seventy-three points this year was was obviously worse than the seventy-nine points points last year. Dylan Larkin was your points leader at sixty-three points, and he tied Austin Matthews among some others for fifty-eighth in the NHL. Uh, some some big things is 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 Peter Murazik and Tomasz Tatar, even Riley Sheehan all all former red wings that that left around and near the trade deadline is the wings were trying to do whatever it is that they're that they're attempting to do with with this team. So Jimmy Howard takes over the net. He finished the season with a 285 goals against average which was ranked 47th out of 95 goalies that saw action this year. A 910 save percentage, 22-27-9 record for Jimmy Howard. That's the uh fourth lowest goals per game for the Detroit Red Wings at two point five nine goals per game. That was ranked twenty fourth out of the thirty-one teams. Power play percentage, which I watching the Red Wings power play now is is excruciatingly painful. I think we can all remember around like twenty twelve season or even when they were winning the cup, this power play was something else. I mean it was we got guys like Zetterberg, Datsuk, Lidstrom. I mean it was it was a thing of beauty. But now obviously struggling with that, uh twenty third out of the thirty first in the league in, in penalty kill percentage. So now that we have the, the, the stats behind, let's, let's talk about the team. Let's be, uh, let's be real people here. Let's be, let's be fans here. Let's be uh, criticizers as, as people in Detroit. And of course myself love to be of the Detroit Red Wings. Honestly, the, the first, the first few games for the Red Wings, they looked great. I mean, I, th- I'm pretty sure they had the best record, if not one of the best records in the league for a little bit through like the first five or six games and in, Obviously the narrative on the Red Wings was that they you know they need to rebuild. What are they doing? Uh, coming off of the, the the bad season the year before, obviously is is for the Red Wings, I mean, I'm twenty years old. I've seen the wings in the playoffs every single year since since birth, except for the last couple of years. So Obviously there's a changing of the guard. And I think that people are starting to understand that this is a different direction, a different team because the wings had, were dominating the NHL for years upon years. I mean, that that playoff streak, what was it, 25, 26 years? I mean, that's incredible. That's that's easily one of the best accomplishments in sports, but but it's it's a different team, a changing of the guard. There's a lot of good young talent that's coming up in the even though it doesn't seem like it because the team has struggled, there's a lot of good talent coming up in the ranks. So obviously those first few games looked great, and then we kind of saw what the Red Wings actually were, and they simply did not have the firepower to win. If there's if there's one thing that I really struggle to understand that the Wings do, it's they they constantly are jumbling lines. I mean, Look at look at the top teams in the leagues, and you could name, I mean, like that Marchand or Marchand, Marchand, whatever you want to call him uh, on, on Boston, Mar- uh, Marchand, Bergeron, Pasternak, that pretty sure that's going to be the best line in the NHL for years to come. And that's a line that you never break up. Obviously, the wings don't really have the firepower to put together solid lines that you see every night. But for me, the constantly the constant jumbling of lines, and you have you had Tatar on the first line one night, then he's on the third line. You have Larkin playing with Zetterberg one night, playing with someone else. It 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 was a mess. And I think that once we kind start to solidify who's who's playing and who's who's going to be the guys going forward, I think that the lines will will hopefully you know even out. And I I really hope that Blashill doesn't continue to use this jumbling of line system because it, it really is hard to. To build chemistry, and 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 then you have to look at the goaltenders, which hasn't been great. I really think that Jimmy Howard surprised a lot of people this year, because the the narrative on Jimmy Howard was that he's he's getting old. People were calling for his head last year, the year before, especially this year, because everyone seems to think, okay, like Mrazek's the guy. You know, he's he's the young guy. He's younger. He some people will say better. I didn't necessarily subscribe to that. I think that he, more so than Howard, was extremely inconsistent throughout the years. But Mirazik ends up getting shipped away, which I guess goes to show the loyalty to Jimmy Howard, which which is sure. I, I I, get it. But then that leaves room for Jared Coro to come up, who is, I, I think, will end up taking over the net for Jimmy Howard. And I think most people have to had that assumption too that Koro is the guy in line whenever Jimmy Howard leaves, whether he retires as a Red Wing, or he gets traded away. But that's a big question mark going forward because Jimmy Howard, obviously, you know, in his, his earlier years was was great for the Wings. I mean, great in the playoffs. He was a steady guy that you had in net, and now that you brought in a guy like Mrazek, and they're playing that rotational goalie system that I honestly cannot stand. I mean, you look at. Look at Pittsburgh try to do it with Matt Murray and Marc-Andre Fleury. Ultimately, obviously, Marc-Andre Fleury is now playing in Vegas, which has been an absolute stud, but that's a a story for another time. But I don't think the rotational thing really works. I mean, you got to keep a guy in net, let him get hot. Obviously, if Jimmy Howard goes out there and plays seven games in his two and five, then sure, you know, let... Mrazic at the time, or let now your Koro get the net and see what he can do. And I'm sure I'll I'll subscribe to the hot goalie thing if he's got the hot hand and let him play. But I I really think it's bad overall. I know Peter Mrazic had problems with it. He didn't like sharing the net with Jimmy Howard, and I wouldn't either. If you get paid to be the starter, you want to play every night. And look, I mean, obviously the playoffs are a different animal, but it's not like you have you know Mark Andre Fleury sharing the net with Malcolm Subban night in and night out in the playoffs right now. So. So that that's obviously a big question mark going forward, but but for right now, you, you really have to get used to Jimmy Howard's the guy. And maybe people don't like that because of the fact that they're they they think, okay, if we're trying to go youth movement, why is Jimmy Howard still around here? I think goalies are a bit of a different story when it comes to looking at the roster and, and, and trying to develop young talent because they're not, you know, it's not the collective group of guys playing up front. So I mean if Jimmy Howard's forty years old and is standing on his head and and, and making saves left and right, and has a great save percent. I mean, keep him around. Like it, it is what it is. But other than the goalies, I, the the power play systems were were bad. It was it was tough to watch. And, and look, if you if your team can't score on the power play, you're gonna have a tough time winning games. And as I mentioned earlier, seeing this team on the power play in in years past was was awesome. I mean, it was just a it was a it was a thing of beauty. And and now I watch them just struggle on the power play and. They they don't get shots, and they'll miss passes, and then whoever the opposition is on the penalty kill, they'll get the puck and ice it down, and there's no scoring chances. And from an offensive production standpoint, it's just not there. And I don't know if you want to blame that on the individual players because I don't think that's necessarily it. I just think it's the way that Blashill has managed these players. Like, look, you got to look at your studs on the team. Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha. If you want to put Franz Nielsen up there, sure. Other than that, I mean, unless I'm missing people, because honestly, I wouldn't put anyone on a defensive, on the defensive core being a superstar player. I mean, I don't I don't know who you could make the case to be your stud on defense because Nicholas Cronwell's been playing on one leg for however many years. I think Danny de has really let a lot of people down. I can't stand watching Jonathan Erickson play hockey for the Red Wings. But so anyway, up front. I mean, those are your guys, Nielsen, Mantha, Larkin, which, which realistically, looking at the rest of the league, is not a great three-core superstar guys to have. I think that Mantha has, has struggled. I know that him and Blashill butt heads every now and then about Mantha's effort, and there's times that Mantha was getting benched throughout the year, and, which, which we'll get into in a second. But but back to the offense, and especially on the power play, they just they, they cannot produce up front. And if Larkin's supposed to be your guy, then then that's where you're putting all your chips. You have to build around Larkin. But they try to, you know, they use Mantha and Larkin and Ethan And and again, if you, I want to go back to for a second, Nielsen, Larkin, and Mantha. If those are your top three guys, then great. But they they have to produce. And 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 quite frankly, these are guys that on any other team in the league, I would see playing on the third line, maybe the second line, maybe a guy like Larkin can play on the second line, even even a Franz Nielsen. But I think Blashell's so loyal to his captain and Henrik Zetterberg, which is deservedly so. I mean Hank has had some some great years here, but I just I don't know if Zetterberg can play on that first line anymore. I mean he's clearly slowed down. I think this man, he sees the ice so well. So I'm not going to I'm not going to knock the fact that he still has some talent in him, but you're forcing a guy like Zetterberg. And sometimes you'll throw Abdulkader on the first line or Helm. And these guys cannot compete against your guys like your Stamkos or if they play a Crosby or an Ovechkin who's playing with Evgeny Kuznetsov and Nick Backstrom. The first line that the Red Wings put out really struggles to compete with any other first line in the league. And that's your first part. That's all the teams you look at like an Arizona or you look at a Buffalo. That's the story with all these teams. They can't compete Depth wise, you know, while the team on paper may not, you know, it's not like they're a, the Red Wings are a horrible team, but they don't have the firepower to compete, and that's why I think that if you're going to go for this youth movement, that's that's really where, where where things might change because there's a lot of young guys like a Tyler Bertuzzi, like an Evgeny Svechnikov, who spent their time their due time in the AHL and now they've, they've seen they've they've had some time in the NHL this year to to improve and get a feel for the game. But now I got to talk about the back end and the Red Wings defense has been an issue for, for years. I mean, since, since guys like, like Lidstrom have retired and now Cronwall's injury prone, the only guy that really I think showed anything on the back end that I guess if you want to go back to that superstar debate is maybe you throw Mike Green as being, you know, I don't think he's a top NHL defenseman anymore. I mean, sure. He's, he's probably a, a top four defenseman on, on any given team, but that was a big name that came up at the trade deadline that maybe was going to get moved because, realistically, again, if you're going to get younger, I don't really think that Mike Green is a part of that process. So the back end has been tough. You, you try to bring up guys like Jensen, and I know that Hickett's got some time. Uh, DeKaiser, who, who really has been disappointing, to say the least, and I think the problem is, again, if it just the story is they're they're trying to force people that aren't top line players to play on that top line and they get exposed. Danny de Kaiser would be a great third line defenseman, but the problem is you have him playing in the first line with Jonathan Erickson every night or with Nicholas Cronwall. It's hard to get anything done. And I just I think of the decor. You think of Cronwall, DeKaiser, Trevor Daly, Mike Green, you know, Ericsson if you want to throw Jensen in there, whoever you rotate in there uh, it, towards the end, it's not a great defensive core. I think they're slow. I think they really lack an offensive presence. And I, I think back to the Trevor Daly signing in the offseason, and we'll get to contracts in a second, but that's why it's so confusing to me because it's like you're trying to go younger. You're trying to get faster, better, uh, better offensively from the back end. And you go out and sign a guy like Trevor Daly, who I mean, he's not young. I he's I'm sure yeah, he's not you know like a Henrik Zetterberg type age, but he's he's not a young guy. So it it's it's puzzling to me is where they're why they're putting in these like safety valves or these you know these these little stoppers in, in the defensive core to like to make things better. And I I don't think that you know Trevor Daly. Well, he was he was fine. He's a serviceable defenseman. But again, this is a guy who on any other team. Trevor Daly's not playing on the first or second line on on defense. I mean, come on. So, so that's as far as the team goes, the pieces, that's that's really my gripe. Is I think that and again, we'll, like I said, we'll get to contracts in a second, but they're just lacking production. It, it's as simple as that. Offensively, they don't get they don't get things done. You have guys like Helm and Ablocator and and and, and you know, Anthony Sioux, who you know you'd have to expect more from but you're not getting and so it's just it's it, I'm curious to see going forward how these lines shake out. But I want to move now into more of the managerial side of things. Obviously the big story this offseason uh Ken Holland coming back for another 2 years, Jeff Blashill coming back as well. Um and I I think the consensus is starting with Ken Holland is that people are sick and tired of Ken Holland. I think that people and i would subscribe to the fact too look i'm not going to sit here and and bash ken holland cuz i think that in whatever role people think that he's played in the process of putting together the red wings he's he's done a, a a pretty decent job i mean they got they have they've drafted very well again whatever extent you think ken holland plays a you know has a hand in that with jim delavano but um they they've drafted well the team has been successful for the most part under his control but my biggest thing is I think that there's too many bad contracts on this team right now that it's very hard for me to get over. A contract like Helm, who's here for another, another handful of years, making like five and a half million dollars, I think he makes around the same amount of money as Nikita Kucherov, who if, you've, if you're watching any hockey, you know that he's, he's slowly becoming one of the best players in the entire league. Um I look at a contract like Jonathan Erickson, even a Zetterberg contract's not looking great anymore. I think they're done paying off Johan Franzen now, which is great. But I mean every every team kinda kinda gets into those issues. But but the, the contracts and in the signings, you know, a signing like a Trevor Daly, like I said, I d I don't think it's necessary. I think that there are guys getting overpaid. I love Justin Advocator. I think he's a great leader. I think he's one of the only guys on this team that brings any kind of fire and physical presence you know maybe like a luke Witkowski, but wikowski doesn't even play very often so there's no point in talking about him but i i think Advocator's is great to have on the team again you can't have him playing on the second line every night because he just i don't think he has it he's just not that kind of player he's a third line checking line type player and he's locked up for another handful of years here the, even the kaiser has a, has a you know some substantial time on on his on his contract, but but a guy like Abukator, I think for his services is probably getting a, a bit overpaid, and and so the contracts is one thing, and that's that's obviously when you're tied up with money, it's hard to make moves. But I think on an, on an even bigger scale, it's just it's just the general direction of the Red Wings. I couldn't tell you, you know, you uh, you bring in a guy like Trevor Daly. you hold on to a guy like Mike Green, you know, you're not you're not getting rid of these guys like an Erickson or 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 whatever. And you're bringing in guys like David Booth on a on a one-year flyer to, to to plug up space on the fourth line, which you could be using for a Tyler Bertuzzi or an Evgeny Svechnikov or a Matt Pumple who's playing in the AHL right now. These are all spots that the young guys could be playing in. So when you continue to sign guys that are older, that are clearly, if there's any kind of rebuilding that's supposed to be happening, these guys are not a part of the process. I'm sorry. So and I, I even recall Ken Holland saying, "Oh, you know, sometimes sometimes less is more, or sometimes non playoff hockey can be more exciting, or even I think something as ridiculous as like, and I wish I had the quote in front of me, but something as ridiculous as like, you know, it's it's not all about you know, playoff hockey and, and winning championships, and like you know if, if they get to the playoffs, like it, it, it cool, it is what it, I, That's not someone who I want to lead this team." The goal for any sports team, I don't know why, I don't know why you exist as a sports team if your goal is not to win championships, because, and I think the attendance could be a little bit skewed as far as, I, I know the big thing on TV was like, oh, the, no one goes to the Wings games, which is a different conversation in itself, but but no, no, sometimes, less is never more when it comes to sports. No one, no one is enjoying, look at the Tigers right now, who will get to the Tigers later on, they can barely fill the stadium because people don't. People are not interested in the rebuilding process. That's unfortunately how it goes. Myself, look, maybe I'm a sucker. I, I watch every game for every team as much as I can. I buy in. I drink the Kool-Aid every year. I never give up hope because hope, honestly, is all we have in Detroit because the teams have really not put anything out for us to, to really cheer about. But no, Ken Holland, I'm sorry. People don't want to drive down to Little Caesars Arena in the traffic, pay an astronomical amount for a ticket to watch your team go out there and lose 6-0 to Toronto, who has done the rebuild the right way. So I, I don't know what the direction is. It's it's very frustrating and it's it's nice to see that the Tigers are making those steps and and taking a step back okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. The, the, our, our big contracts, our superstar players, put them all together, didn't work let's back it up so so the direction on that i i think is is ridiculous and for whatever reason having your goal to be not not win championships is i don't know but but i want to move over to to jeff blashill now who i have a little bit more leeway for maybe i maybe i'm in the unpopular opinion but i think one of jeff blashill's strengths and look he just he's he's was named the head coach of the uh the world championship team USA playing in the IIHF tournament uh they're playing actually as this is being recorded, they're playing in the semifinals today against Team Canada. One of Blashill's strengths is is to cultivate the young talent. And, and you can look at his success in the AHL with the Griffins winning a Calder Cup. It this is if this is the the path you're going with the young guys in, in trying to develop, really develop in the AHL, I do think that for now, Blashill's your guy, at least give the guy a shot at getting these young guys in here and seeing what he can do at the NHL level. Because I think it's kind of unfair to put him in the doghouse right away when he really hasn't had the the right group around him or the right situation to do what I think he does best, which is cultivate the young talent. One problem, I think the problem that he he has is is that he is not really getting along with veterans, I guess. And I know there was some stuff last year about how the veterans are running the locker room. They don't really have Blash. You don't. They don't want Blash. to will have a say. Whatever. I, I don't know what's going on with that, but I think he he probably butts head with the veterans because it's all it's a conflict of interest as far as the veterans want to win, and that's simply what this team cannot do right now with this roster. He has, as I mentioned before, had problems with Anthony Mantha and even some of the young guys and just the playing time because he he wants effort. All he is asking for is is effort, and I think that Mantha. Is is not the only player, but has really been been seen to maybe get get lazy or or to really not perform like like he should have been. So I think that in due time, you know, we'll see how he how he changes. But um, like I said, I think he'll, he'll he'll be fine with getting the young guys to adjust, which which is all they need him to do. Um, so now speaking on the young talent, let's look at the upcoming draft, and and as as the draft gets closer, we can look more in depth. Um. The Wings, again, for whatever reason, cannot seem to hold on to their draft pick spot. They were supposed to get, I believe, the fifth pick this year. They slid to sixth, whatever. I think it'd be really nice to see uh, Andrei Svechnikov come over, obviously his brother being Evgeny Svechnikov. I mean, this dude tore up the OHL this year with with Barry, 72 points in 44 games, Unfortunately, I think that he's he's being discussed now as someone who will probably go in the top three. I don't think he will follow the wings. I think that definitely the direction to go is to get a defenseman. They're looking at maybe Philip Zadina, maybe Brady Kachuk out of Boston University. Two forwards who, who and Brady Kachuk especially, is really... Risen up the ranks as far as where his draft stock is, but I, I I don't think the direction is to go forwards. I know Svechnikov, I think will have success over time. I think Zadina will adjust pretty well. A guy like Kachuk, um, I think he's a big body. He plays a very physical game. He understands the game well. He's got a great hockey lineage in his family. I also, I mean, I I don't really think those guys would even fall to the wings at six. But it's a consideration you have to make. I think the again the most important to fill is is the defense. I think my bet now is Quinn Hughes out of Michigan. He's a, he's a bit undersized, but I mean if you if you've ever watched Quinn Hughes play, and I suggest that you you maybe you know if you're if you're into this kind of stuff, I would go watch some highlights with him playing for U of M. Uh, he sees the ice so well. He's very smooth with the puck. Uh, he, he's quick. He's smart. He's a, he's a great skater. And I think that when you're trying to build an offensive defensive core, he's going to be a big key. So, uh, look, look for the wings to take him at six. That would be my bet right now. Um, I know they're also looking at like an Evan Bouchard from the London Knights. who's a big body. Adam Bovquist, who's playing juniors over in Sweden. Either of those guys I'd love to take to Bouchard's a bit bigger than a Hughes, um, Adam Boquist, I think, is being looked at as right behind Rasmus DeLeen as far as the best defensive prospect. So he might be another name who might not follow the Wings at six, but he is a Swede, and the Wings love their Swedes. So we we can talk more about that as we get closer to the draft in the upcoming episodes. But um, I wanna I wanna shift over now to another team whose whose season has been over for a, for a little while, and a team who honestly might be the most frustrating team in the city of Detroit, and that is. The Detroit Pistons. Um, again, I I, I just I just want to go back on, you know, we we talked the wings and I want to talk about the Pistons before we move forward into the more current and relevant teams being the Tigers and the Lions. Just to set the framework, I, I don't want to jump into this show without getting getting these teams involved. So the Pistons, I'll give you my spiel with the stats. 39 and 43, finished ninth in the East, just missed the playoffs. Um, just factually, look, Reggie Jackson was out for the majority of the year. I think if he was still playing throughout the year and was the Reggie Jackson who the overpaid Reggie Jackson that the Pistons know and love, I, I really think the eight, the eight seed would not have been ridiculous, say that the, the Pistons could have locked up maybe a seven seed, uh, obviously some big moves throughout the year, Blake Griffin trade was, and and I'll get into that because I have some very strong opinions on that, but that was the big move, uh, getting rid of Tobias Harris, uh, Avery Bradley, Boban, Boban obviously left too. Now we're dealing with Stan Van Gundy, who for whatever reason took as long as it did to get rid of him. And whether you're, whatever side of the fence you're on with that, I think you can agree with me when I say that if getting rid of Stan is the move that the Pistons want to make going forward, that's that's fine. I sure I I would probably be in that camp where I would say that, that that's the move that had to be made. But the fact that we as fans had to sit and listen about how the Pistons were, oh, they're in meetings discussing the future. Uh there's 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 rumors that Stan was gonna stay. And it took so long. I think Stan could have been gone. During the year, obviously it's tricky because he was the coach and the president of basketball operations, so to completely give up you know one or two i it would have been a tough move to make. but when that last game of the season hit, you should have known Tom Goris or whoever's in the Pistons front office that whether or not you were going to keep this guy around or get rid of him I don't know how that conversation was not being had earlier in the year, so the fact that he Stan was, you know, part of the staff for weeks after the season, and then you get rid of him, and, and now the Pistons have no president of basketball operations, they have no head coach, and effectively, they have they have no GM. Uh, and now we're moving into the combine just passed, the draft is coming up. Granted, they don't have a pick in the first round, so whatever, but still, it's, it's a bad situation, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Back to some stats, it's really mediocre, A 22nd in total points per game. And I, I, I think that this really is probably the worst team in Detroit. And I would say that because you have to look at what they do performance-wise and you have to look at direction. And I think performance-wise, sure, I, I think that you could make the case the Red Wings were, were worse performance-wise, but I think the Wings at least have something in place to where they're not completely screwed with what they're sitting and looking at right now. So going to the team that the Pistons have in place, let's look at the roster. Andre Drummond has been better. I, I, I would like to see some, I mean, the dude is getting paid some ridiculous money. He was supposed to be a guy that you build around. He averaged 15 points per game this year, uh, second on the team, uh, 16 rebounds per game, He was a double double machine, which he should be. I mean, he's 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 a great player. Um, And then you look at a guy like Reggie Jackson, and and you have to, you have to when you're looking at the team for the future, is Reggie Jackson your guy? I, the more and more I think about it, I don't think that's the case. I mean, he's 28 years old, so it's not like he's you know he's not a an old guy, but he's he's not he's not fresh. He's gonna make 17 to 18 million over the next two years. Which that's going to lead me into the contracts, and I'm not the I'm obviously not the first person to have this opinion. I think that everyone can agree that look, let's start with Blake Griffin. You're locked in for the next three to four years with Blake Griffin for over thirty million dollars. This dude made more money this year than James Harden, who will probably win the MVP. He makes more than Russell Westbrook. He's just he's not the same Blake Griffin that came into the league and that was as dominant as he was with the, with the Clippers. He's he's pretty injury-prone, but, I mean, for the money that they're paying him, only you know what? Only the Pistons would take on a contract like Blake Griffin's. Locked in for three or four more years, one of the biggest contracts in the league, if not the biggest, and that's what the Pistons have to deal with. On top of the fact that they're paying Reggie Jackson, who— might be the most overpaid player in the league. It's 17 to 18 million as I said over the next 2 years. Andre Drummond's making 25 million. I mean like what you're you're locked in. You're absolutely locked in because you don't have a first round draft pick, so you're not getting any younger with 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 your with your talent. And and as far as as far as the guys that you you currently have on the team, I mean the the money is just you're so tied up with the money, and then you got contracts like John Lure for 10 mil, who obviously didn't play it all this year because he was hurt. Langston Galloway, who I don't even know if I saw him on the floor this year. So that's realistically, the, the contracts is your biggest issue amongst amongst many other issues. But uh let's I, I want to now go into the Blake Griffin trade because that really can be looked at as the source of, of, of the problem, honestly. And you go back to that trade, uh, they give up Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley. I'm fine with getting rid of Avery Bradley. I don't think he really fit that well in what the Pistons were trying to do, whatever it is, but I don't think he fit like they had hoped. I think Avery Bradley is probably a guy that you would would lose eventually. I, I do wish they would have kept Tobias Harris. I think he plays both ends of the floor really well. When he first came into Detroit, A couple years ago, I I think that it took him some time to to really come into his own. But he's he's great on both ends of the floor. I also could see him, you know, leaving when his contract was up to go, you know, some team like the Suns or the Nets or or one of those bummy teams would pay him absurd money that he couldn't pass up. And I think that the Pistons would lose him in, in that circumstance. But you look at the trade again you take Blake's contract. He's not the same player you used to be. He's, he's really always hurt. And it, I just think it was more of like a marketing move. Like, oh yeah, Blake Griffin's in here now. He'll sell jerseys. People will want to see Blake Griffin play. Well, that's true. I went to see one game. I think it was against the Celtics. I saw Blake Griffin play. I'm like, yeah, cool, man. Like you're not the same guy that's flying through the air and, 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 and slamming home dunks. You know, he's, always up in arms, complaining about officiating, whatever. I, I'm not going to knock him for being a great player because he, he is, and that's, that's, that's undeniable. But, but, uh, but yeah, the, the bottom line is, is that, that that trade is, is what's going to cripple this team for years to come. How, how do you give up a first-round pick in today's NBA? When you look at guys that come in the league, And like, and let's go for a second to the, to the last, well, we'll get to that in a second, but I'm getting way ahead. I'm just, I'm, as you can tell, I'm a bit worked up over, over what's been going on here with, with this team, but you give up a first round pick. And if you want to give up a first round pick, you better be bringing in someone better than Blake Griffin, especially when you're going to be giving up Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley. Like, come on, Stan. I, I, I don't. I don't understand what, what that what that move is because now the cap room is is a ridiculous situation, um, and you don't have you don't have a draft pick again, and and now it's going to lead me to, to the last year's draft, which, I mean, it, look, I'll preface it by saying, I get it. It's very hard to to evaluate talent to an extent because you don't know. like Look at the Pistons take a guy like Darko Milicic. Wow, he probably looked like a great pick when the Pistons took him back in 03, but oh boy, do we know where that led the Pistons? So shoulda, coulda, woulda. But honestly, like whoever the scouting department is, whoever's in there, got do your job. Henry Ellenson and Luke Kennard, really, those are your guys that you pick. Kennard had 7.6 points per game this year. And and, and taking him, and that's the big story, which I just had pleasure to talk about could have had Donovan Mitchell, who probably will, or he at least should win the Rookie of the Year this year. I don't I don't understand looking at a guy like Ellenson and Kennard. Why are you wasting a high-to-mid-round draft pick on a guy that you're going to bounce between the NBA and the G League? This is not Major League Baseball. You don't bring up guys for spot starts like you do in the MLB. You don't have your September call-ups. When you have a pick as high as the Pistons had with Allenton and Kennard, these are guys that should be integral in playing with your team. And I get it. They're still young. Give them some time. You know, I don't have a problem with players playing in the G League. Like, look at Terry Rozier, who's tearing it up with the Celtics right now. He spent his first season playing in Maine with with, with the G League or the D League, whatever it was called at that time. But I, it's like, you know, I got to hear every other day, Oh, Henry Ellinson's going to be in the lineup tonight. Oh, and then the next night he's going to be in Grand Rapids for a week. Like, what are you – what is – like, either keep him there or don't. Because when you bring him up to the NBA, they don't do anything. Because, Stan, like, you don't play him. And I think – thank God that you have now actually let Stanley Johnson get some time who – I mean, he can't shoot to save his life. But, I mean, you'll, you, you get these young guys. Let them play. First of all, draft better. Come on, do like you have, if you're in the scouting department, your one job is to sit there and watch young guys play basketball all day long. Yeah, sure. No one probably saw Donovan Mitchell playing like he did, but yeah, that it just looks so bad and it's so Pistons. This is going to be a great draft class coming up and the Pistons just get to sit and watch. So who knows, maybe they'll take leangelo Ball in the second round. That'll be, a, that'll be another great Pistons move and we'll get Lavar over here too, because clearly it's all about, about marketing. I, 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 it's just frustrating. It's frustrating to see what could have been. And it's, it's just, there's no clear direction. And so I'll, I'll finally get into the management. And I I saw, I saw a great tweet from Bill Simmons that really sums up the whole Stan Van Gundy era in Detroit. And it reads as follows. And I quote, dear Detroit, sorry about taking Kennard over Mitchell, overpaying Reggie Jackson.'" Taking Stanley Johnson over getting four firsts from Boston, ruining your salary cap with the Blake trade, and leaving you without a 2018 first. I'm gonna go TV. I'm gonna go do TV. I'll see you later. Thanks, SVG. End quote. So that's Bill Simmons tweet. I thought it was hysterical because it really it really sums up everything so well. And it just seriously, Stan, come on, man. I you know, I, I really thought that Stan was a great basketball mind. I think he is but the bottom line is the pistons are they're stuck now and it's all because of the and i think that it comes back to i i don't know i mean why stan was given the job to coach and be the president of basketball operations i think is 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 beyond me but as far as his coaching goes I, I don't think he really meshed well with the young guys i th- i know that you know he was trying to push the young guys he's a he's a heart hustle attitude guy too kind of like Blashill is so I, he had some problems with the young guys but i think it was just so risky to have his to let him have his cake and eat it too with the decisions he made but now he's gone so i'm not i'm not going to sit here and gripe over about it for much longer like i said i just want i kind of want to set the foundation but n- now we're moving to Tom Gores who's your your uh great owner of the Detroit Pistons. Um and and, and look, I just think that is a as a Detroit sports fan, I'm all about like just care about the fans, care about the city. I think for so long fans have just felt neglected about not really being having their voices heard and that their teams have been letting them down. But I think the Stan thing, I think Tom, Tom should have let him go a, a long time ago. And now We move past the combine, but we're going to be, look at how deep we are into the NBA off off season for, for teams that are not in the playoffs. Like there's, you know, teams have already, you know, the Knicks have hired a new coach. You know, Dwayne Casey got fired from the Raptors. Things are, you know, things are moving around and here the Pistons sit. Again, essentially no general manager, no president of basketball operations and no coach. And I don't, I don't know if, I would like to think that Tom Gorris actually cares about the team, but, like, I don't know what's going on. I don't have an answer for who's going to get the job. I don't know who would want to take the job anyway. Look at the team. You don't – first of all, you have to – I think you have to hire a a GM, a new – if you're going to go new GM, you got to go with your new GM, or you have to go new basketball or president of basketball operations before you have a coach because – if you, if you hire a coach right away, I mean, there's probably whoever's in the market for being the, the president of basketball operations, they have probably a a name in mind of who they want. And so if you bring in a, let's say if you bring in a Dwayne Casey and, and then you want to go get, I'll throw out Chauncey Billups for the sake of whatever, just, you know, to sensationalize it, you go bring in a guy like Chauncey who might not want Dwayne Casey to be the head coach. He might say, you know what, guys, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but. You know, let me know when you guys figure it out, and and so I don't know. It's a tough situation. I think that this team is the furthest away. You need. I mean, I cannot believe there's still no coach, and there's just the front office is a is a is a mess. And I I think that this is going to be a big big portion of of Pistons history uh, of how this next move goes down because if they can get the right guys in place, whether you want to, you know. You know, let's let's all fanboy it and say, "Oh, I'll bring Chauncey back," or you know, or have Bill Lambeer coach. Like, wow, it's all great. It's a great story. It's so it's very cute. But if it doesn't work, I mean, something's got to change. I don't know if you can even afford to ship a guy, or if anyone would take Blake Griffin at this point. I don't think anyone in the in the world is even considering taking on that contract. I don't think the Pistons are also even looking at getting rid of him. But I don't know. I it's it's tough. It's tough. And and you know, just, just wrapping back up the pistons and the wings because now I want to move on to to two teams that I actually think are are doing things right to a certain extent and can actually, you know, make a difference in the city. Uh a lot needs to happen. And with the wings, with them keeping Holland and, and Blashill in check, I think it's more of on the on the player and personnel front. With the Pistons, I mean, they gotta figure it out from the top down. So there's your Pistons and Wings. I know that you know. I, I you guys probably you know spent a little bit more time listening to stuff about them than you would have liked. But like I said, hey, it's our first episode. Let's let's get on the same page here as far as where we're going forward. And, and in the future, when we when we do future episodes, uh, well, you know, the the line or the excuse me, the Pistons and Red Wings talk will be a a bit you know more brief. But again, you know, NBA draft coming up, not a ton to talk about. There with the Pistons, obviously, the NHL draft is coming up, and, and the Wings have the number six pick, as I mentioned, so we'll talk about that, but let's move on to the Lions, your Detroit football Lions, and I don't want to bring up last year, I've done enough talking about the past, this is a different team, it's a different culture, and and like I said, I drink the Kool-Aid every single year, especially with the Lions, I I, I really don't want to get into oh what I have their record being, whatever, because I think that's kind of silly to do, but... I, I love Matt Patricia coming in. I think that he brings a great energy. He's a smart guy, and I think he's got a great balance between the analytical side and just just a gritty football guy, no excuses, play hard, smash-mouth football. Uh, he, he obviously won a, won a few rings in New England. We know the story about him and Belichick. And I, there's, I don't think there's any other—there's no greater guy to, to play under or coach under rather than— than bill belichick so it's it's hard in any sport really to to look at a head coach coming in and go oh yeah you know um is going to be the guy they're going to they're going to win 12 games this year i think you got to kind of pump the brakes a little bit and i i don't want detroit lions fans to if this year happens and they go eight and eight nine and seven to completely throw the towel in and go this guy's got to go whatever i i think you, you you have to let you have to give him some time I do expect though to be completely honest I expect the Lions to come out here and have a good season and and potentially win the north. I don't think there's any reason why they can't. I mean I look at the the coaching staff has changed like I said it's a better culture and and I think the the players and I think the draft was good which will which will will we'll come into in a second but but I I like the direction. I don't I don't want to get into the to the Matt Patricia scandal about the sexual assault allegations because uh, it look it happened 22 years ago we, and nothing ever came of it. I'm not going to sit here and downplay if the if the man was guilty and this is an actual issue then I would be the first one calling for his head but it, it's funny like I don't know why this stuff comes out now. I think obviously people knew about this if it was a legitimate issue like I said I don't have a problem calling for his head but but I I don't want to get into that you can, you can, everyone has their own opinion. Like I said, it happened years ago. Nothing ever came of it. He, Patricia came out and defended himself pretty well, which I, I think was a cool move on his part, but I don't think, I think, did the Lions handle it the best way? Probably not. They probably should have done their due diligence, but again, you can't fault the guy for something that was never brought to court. I don't, I, again, I'm the first one to say that if this was an issue, I, I don't, I don't want this guy here, but, because I, I think that this, the sexual assault stuff that unfortunately we hear more and more about every every day. It seems like or every week. It's just it's ridiculous. But um, let's let's move on. I I want to talk about the players. Obviously Matthew Stafford at the helm again. Who I I'll be honest, like I was not a big Stafford guy in the beginning. Just because it was it was frustrating to see this team lose. But then you kind of take a step back and take a deep breath and you go, okay, like I don't maybe this guy doesn't have great tools around him. So I. I, I do think that it's it's naive of people to think that Matthew Stafford is not one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I mean, I don't know how many more fourth quarter comebacks you got you have to watch this guy pull off, which I, hopefully this year they don't have to do many of those. I, I'd love to see the Lions just actually go out and dominate a team and win a game clean. But I I love bringing back Ziggy Yonza. He's 28 years old. He'll make like 17 mil with the franchise tag this year. He has 155 career tackles and 44 sacks in five years. I'll take it. I mean, Ziggy was a big question mark. I know he's had his problems with injuries in the past. I think that this is franchise tagging him was the smart move because you give him, it's essentially a one-year tryout before. And the thing is, though, the kicker is that if he plays really well, you're going to have to pay the man. But if not, if it doesn't work out, then you, you part ways at the end of this year. And I think that Matt Patricia will will have no problem replacing him, even though I think Ziggy has been a, a great addition to that D-line. So I think it's a great move. I think that this defense is going to be even better up front with a couple free agent signings at the linebacker position. Hopefully Jared Davis kind of comes into his own this year. I know he struggled last year, but the secondary is great. Darius Slay leading the way, but... uh. But yeah, I think I think the big question mark this year, as far as players go, is is the running backs, and that's it, the the story of the Lions is the running game, and we all know they don't have rushes over over a hundred yards, whatever it is, what it is. But I think that the the first problem that you're, I I'd say, the first thing that Matt Patricia needs to focus on is is the run game, and I I, I want to get into you know, the keys and or the goals, I think, for the season later on. But we'll talk draft real quick before we get to that. I, I think I think the Lions draft is always funny. Like, I mean, and I'm guilty of it, too. I, the Lions could literally draft Superman, who could, like, literally use superpowers on the field. And people would be like, oh, I hate it. It's terrible, whatever. But they could also draft, I don't know, Kermit the Frog, you know, the, the wide receiver out of Sesame Street. And it would be like the greatest pick ever. So it just it's funny. I'm sure all teams are like that. But in this draft, they really solidified the middle of the field. And 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 looking at their first pick, I would I, I hoped and I would have thought they would have taken a defensive lineman. I was thinking that Taven Bryan from Florida, who ended up going twenty nine, was going to be the guy that the Lions were going to take to sure up that defensive line as they lose a guy like Heloni Nada, who really I am not going to miss. But they take the Sean Han in the fourth round. He'll be a great guy to roll into that, that mix on the D line. He'll join uh A. Sean Robinson, another former uh Crimson Tide er Crimson Tider? I don't know if that's I don't know how you reference the Crimson Tide, one of those tricky names, but but I'll I'll take look, looking at Ragnow, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you that I knew a lot about Frank Ragnow coming into the coming into the draft. I don't necessarily study up on the uh offensive linemen uh, around college football, but uh, so I can't say I know everything about him, but he's got great size, six five, three hundred and twelve pounds. I, I'm pretty sure that I that I read that he has never allowed a sack in his career at Arkansas, which is hey, I mean that's that's perfect. He's he was a captain on a team for a year or two, which I I love, especially on the O line. You gotta have leaders. You gotta have guys that work hard. Um, and now what I think you can do is, as you kick Graham Glasgow back out to the guard where he originally played when he when he was playing in college, I believe. And so now you're looking at Swanson, Glasgow, Ragnow, Lang, and Wagner. That's going to be a sweet offensive line. And I think that that just goes to show that they're interested in protecting their top commodity in Matthew Stafford. And and, and that's obviously where it needs to start because the line, even though they come into the season last year and and, and people are thinking, like, wow, this is a new offensive line, this is going to be great, Realistically, it didn't work out that way. I know Lang was hurt here and there. He lose Swanson early in the year, and, and he came back and, and did what he had to do. But uh, I also think, too, that Matt Patricia definitely thinks that the run game issues start at the line because you, you could have – I mean, I, I I'm I would. never really keen on, on using a first-round draft pick on a running back. That's also kind of where my head's at with fantasy football, but um, – they they clearly believe that the run game starts up front, and by bolstering up that offensive line and, and and moving Glasgow to the guard, so he doesn't have to worry about about reads on the on the on the defensive side, he doesn't have to worry about snapping the ball. He's a great run blocker, and so is Ragnow from from the reports I've read. So that's clearly where they think the run game issues stem, and and so that leads me into them taking Carry on Johnson out of Auburn. He's a he's a hard runner. He's he's been compared to like a Le'Veon Bell style where he won't really just like hit the hole hard. He'll kind of come to the line, read the defense, you know, make his move and and so I think that he's a he's a great addition. I think that they the Lions definitely got out of the doghouse because if they would have gone a couple more runs without taking a a couple more rounds without taking a running back, I think they would have probably seen some backlash. And I think that you know while you do sign Legarrette Blunt, I think Kerryon Johnson's a guy for the future because. Blunt's getting up there in age, um, and I'm 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 interested to see how they manage the running backs because now you have you know you have Carryon Johnson, you have Legarrette Blunt, Amir Abdullah, Theo Riddick. I know Tion Green is 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 not with the team anymore. Uh, I think if a Dwayne Washington or a Zach Center is still around, you have backs to work with. In my opinion, I don't know if they'll use Blunt as the every down guy. I guess he could because he was doing it in Philly before they brought Jay Ajayi over. But if, if on Johnson has a good camp, I could see them making Carryon Johnson your every down back. Uh, LeGarra Blunt would be a goal line specialist. Amir Abdullah, who my thing with Abdullah is, I mean, no one can deny his speed and agility. Like, he, the dude's sweet, but I think that he's not really an every down back. Of course, he's had his problems with, with fumbling and whatnot, but. I think if you can use Abdullah, it's like even in like a slot position, or you or you put him in the backfield and just and just throw screen passes and let the dude run in open space, he could be useful still. And even like a in a Theo Riddick, maybe you bring in on third down, who I think Theo has some great some great assets to his game, which he could help out. So I don't know if you move a guy like Riddick or Abdullah to the special team side, but we'll we'll see. I I I'm interested to see where that happens. So now, as I mentioned earlier, we go, I, I want to go to the keys to the season for me. I mean, the run ball needs to be the primary focus. You can't—nobody wants to watch the same crap that happened all of last season. Stafford cannot continue to run the offense with no running game. Defenses will pick this this Lions offense apart, and you need to be able to run the ball. I mean, obviously it's a passing league now, but, I mean, the, the Lions have a historically and statistically horrible, horrible running game. We could talk about that all day long. But I think the other key is 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 to get a pass rush. And I think Patricia will be able to bring that with his personnel and his background, being an offensive mindset guy. And so I that's something that I think that that, that fans can look forward to seeing better of. Because I, I know watching some games last year and you see, you know, the quarterback, you know, drop back to pass and he's got one, two Three, four. It's like, okay, guys, is someone gonna come get this guy? And then he throws a ball downfield. And like the secondary, you can only cover guys for so long in the secondary. So I can't, you can't really blame, you know, if a guy breaks coverage. I mean, in, in, in the quarterback's got seven seconds to throw. I mean, that's that comes up to the, to the pass rush. And I don't know what they, what they plan on doing with a guy like Hand they just drafted. Or you know, I think Ashawn Robinson will get some more, a, a pretty solid role now. And I think he was, he was pretty. Darn good last year and, and Ziggy coming back if he can stay healthy and bringing in some some new linebackers, I think will will bolster that pass rush. And then and, and so I, I think that, you know, it, it's tough to predict and, and even to an extent kind of silly to predict wins and losses. But I I think realistically, I'd hope this team can go ten and six, maybe eleven and five, and don't be don't don't be shocked if they win the division. I, I again I I mean I drink the Kool-Aid every single year. But I, I think it's doable. I mean, Chicago is still a few years away. I'm not going subs- to I don't think that you know. I think Mitch Trubisky will 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 have a, a decent career in the NFL in some capacity. But they're still a few years away. Minnesota honestly does not scare me. I don't care that they're bringing Kirk Cousins. They, you know, I think the Case Keenum thing last like last year is kind of a fluke, and I and, and I think that. Denver, you know, they might be scratching their heads in a couple of weeks into the season. Like, I don't think Case Keetum's your guy to lead the future in Denver, but uh, I, Kirk Cousins, you know, he's, I mean, he's had a couple good years. He's an MSU guy, so cool, but I, I'm not going to completely rag on him, but it's not like he's, I wouldn't put him in an elite quarterback category, so, um, and then as far as the Packers go, I think they're just a brutal team. If they don't have Aaron Rodgers, I mean, this team is, whew, but that's that's all I have for the Lions for you guys. Again, uh, moving forward into the year, obviously as as the show progresses, we're more into Lions and Tigers territory, so that will be the main focus. I'm excited for the Lions season this year. So we'll, you know, as training camp develops, I know there's, there's you know, as much as people try to force topics with training camp, you know, we can look at position battles and things like that of that nature. But now I will go into, oh, is this the only team playing? It is. This is the only team in Detroit that's active right now. So the Tigers, because obviously the Pistons and Wings aren't in the playoffs, Lions still off season. Let's go to the Detroit Tigers. And I'll I'll tell you what. Again, Kool Aid, big Kool Aid drinker here. I and again, only the only thing I can sell for you, for you listeners, is is hope. And for the people in Detroit, is obviously the Wings and Pistons are far away. The Tigers are are on the right track, but far away. The Lion. The Lions are probably your best bet at, at winning a championship. I, I, it's it's very funny to hear me, hear those words come out of my mouth. But I, I love the Tigers. I do. I, I, I. In, in it goes beyond a, a fan standpoint. It's 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 the thing. It's just the matter of fact that this team is exceeding expectations. Obviously, everyone is like oh, this team's not gonna. They're not gonna be above five hundred. They're gonna stink who's going to watch them you know but honestly they had extremely low expectations and they just do not seem to care like right? and in and in the, and the, many of tigers kind of even like you know and glacy has come out and said or hemanez has, has come out and said like look we just compete you know we don't we know what the expectations are we don't care we're we're in we're playing for the guys in our locker room and we're trying to win and 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 and, and i think that you know baseball is is very very funny in the way that you know, just because this team is rebuilding doesn't mean they can't be in contention. I mean, pitchers get hot, bats get hot, teams mesh well together, other teams around the league deal with injuries, and this team is sitting as as I speak, just a couple games out of first place in a very bad Central Division. So no, I and I don't think I'm crazy. Maybe I'm. Yeah, you know what? Maybe I am. But I. I don't think this team you can rule them out for winning the central. I mean, they're not going to win a wild card because of how how bad their record will be. Because of the nature of the central, the, the White Sox are still in the same spot of the Tigers and it seems like the I think the White Sox are probably a bit further along as far as having the young guys they want. I think the Tigers are still looking for those young pieces that are going to be a part of the future like in a in a solidified standpoint, but the Royals stink. Minnesota's, I think, last year was kind of a flash in the pan at this point because they're struggling too. And Cleveland is not what they were in their World Series run. And, and their bullpen is, I think it's like 28th in the league as far as like statistically. So they're they struggle. But uh what I what we've seen so far is is some promise. I feel like with past teams, you have a lot of big names who heavily rely on the talent to win. Your Cabreras, your Verlanders, your Uptons. Even a guy like a Prince Fielder. And I think at times with especially with Brad Osmus, they were they were poorly managed with not a lot of in game moves that Osmus that would make. I don't think they were very aggressive. I think the pitchers were mismanaged. But look, this team, they, they play hard. I mean, they do not give up on games, which I absolutely love. And I think to the Cleveland series a couple days ago. I, I think it was on. It doesn't matter what day it was because depending on when you're listening to this. But the Cleveland series where they score five runs in the seventh inning off of Andrew Miller. Who, it's funny how things come full circle because as, as everyone knows that Miller was a first round draft pick of the Tigers and then he got dealt around and it took him a few years to really become a, as dominant as he was in the in the past few years. But they score five runs in the seventh inning against Andrew Miller to win the game nine nine to eight and. That's the kind of quit that or, or the no quit attitude that you have to love to see, and you have to appreciate it because this team essentially is stealing some games here and 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 moving forward, I think if that is the mindset and if that comes from garden higher if it comes from the clubhouse i mean that's no matter who you have on the roster that's 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 huge and and I think when i when I think about the roster now uh, essentially and the reason why I would say something like. The, the White Sox might be a bit further along as far as the process goes, even though the record is not like where the Tigers are. I think with the Tigers, you essentially still have guys that are fighting for their jobs. I think about a guy like, like Reyes, Jacoby Jones, Nico Goodrum, who really were not guaranteed to be a part, to be a major part of the rebuild, especially coming into the season. Like Jacoby Jones started the year in AAA. And... And especially a lot of the names in the bullpen who, you know, we see guys come up and down like the Coleman's and, 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 and guys like that. And yet you Blaine Hardy or a Buck Farmer who these are guys that realistically will be bouncing up and down between AAA and, 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 and the MLB depending on how they perform. But I think that a lot of guys are playing so hard. And the reason why this team is being successful is because guys are literally playing for their jobs. A guy like Nico Goodrum who was with Minnesota last year, I think he only had 17 at-bats in, in, in the major leagues. And a, a guy who has really, you know, despite his batting average, I think he's batting around .263 at this point, but he's had some big hits and some big spots in these games, and that's a guy who really has been used like an Andrew Romine where he's been playing at second, he's been playing at third, he's been playing in the outfield. So that's a guy who's really fighting to stay up here because – you know, you have guys like Jacoby Jones who looks like he will probably solidify an outfield spot in the future. And a guy like, you know, Reyes, who I he is really and in, and in, look at the eyeball test, looking at him in the batter's box is is shaky. And I, I think that he is batting right around a hundred. And granted, he doesn't play a ton, but he uh he visibly struggles in the batter's box. So it's guys like that, that are that are fighting for for their lives, and for now, they sit at you know they're just around 500. Sure, they've been banged up. Condolario hasn't played in a little bit. Castellanos has been shaken up a bit, and I don't care how good you are as a team, if you're if you're if you're injured, I mean you need you need to you're not going to do much in the league. You, you need to be healthy, especially in baseball and in any sport, realistically, to to compete. And you know, Miggy, I think Miggy now and. I briefly want to talk about his recent comments, but Miggy is legit hurt, and he came out recently in the media and said that you know he's he's done playing hurt. He feels unappreciated by the fans. You know they when you're when you play bad, the fans you know they want you to go home, whatever. And and look, I know, and I've you know I I if there's maybe people are naive to it. Miggy has been playing whether it's his core, whether it's his back, his his you know his hamstrings. He's been playing hurt for effectively the last couple of years I and mean, at some point there's always seems to be something that's going on and, and last year you know he he didn't have a a great year i think he was batting around 260 which like, like even for miggy honestly like i mean a lot of guys would kill to be hitting 263 like miggy hit last year somewhere around around that range but um but i i i think from the standpoint of where miggy's coming from Yeah, I disagree. I think the fans in Detroit have really supported Mickey throughout the years. I mean, we all know what's coming with him getting older, and he has the biggest, if not one of the biggest contracts in baseball, which looks like it's really going to cripple the Tigers going forward because his contract is virtually untradeable. The Tigers would have to eat some money. And but like Miggy has all these problems off the field of just, you know, saying some some dumb things and doing some dumb things. And the Tigers fans, for the most part, they could have run this guy out of town. You know, people could have been like, Well, I'm sick and tired of hearing about Miggy and his DUIs or not paying child support. You know, get out of here. We don't need you. And I think for the most part, people have defended Miggy in the sense that like yeah he's been hurt he's not playing well because he's been hurt so i don't really know where miggy's coming from from that standpoint and then i got to hear about how uh the the former uh president of of Miami Marlins whose name escapes me um in a, in an interview with cbs sports was saying how miggy always said how he wants to come home to miami he's stuck in detroit whatever which look i I'm not going to read too much into that. I think Mickey was probably kidding. And I think he just kind of came out and said like, yeah, I was just joking. It, it, you know, kind of like a, it's almost like a, if your friend, you know, your friend pays for dinner one night and you, the next day like, go, oh, Hey, when are you going to pay for my dinner again? Like, aren't you paying? Like it's, what's one of those things, you know? So I don't know. If, if Miggy doesn't want to be here, then you know what Miggy, like I I'm really getting sick and tired of the of hearing what you have to say off the field like just go play. I get it. If you're hurt, there's no reason to rush back. I know Miggy's seen some guys like Kinsler leave, you know, like an Anibal Sanchez, like these these guys that kind of came up with the core with Miggy that have that have left. I'm sure it's tough cuz now he's really only got like Vmart that's been sticking around who is another issue, but I don't know. So maybe, you know what, dude, take it easy. We'll we'll figure it out. But other than that, I mean the defense has been fair. I I like Iggy and Machado up the middle. I think Condelario is really coming into his own, especially on the offensive side of things. I think he's he's got some work to do defensively. But um the starting pitching too, I, I think has been much better than expected. Lariano was a good plug to have. Zimmerman, I mean, Zimmerman is what he is. He's not the same guy that, that the Tigers got when, when, they, when they signed him. But I'm hoping, and I hate to look this way, but I'm hoping that Zimmerman can, can continue to put together some good innings so he can get dealt with the deadline because he's not going to be a part of the process going forward. He has a big contract, too, that would keep him here for a few more years. And if the Tigers have to eat some money, then that's, that's fine. And, and I, I the reason why I say that is because I look at – you know, Fulmer obviously I would I would consider, and I think a lot of people would consider Fulmer the ace. So you have Fulmer, you have Lariano, you have Mike Fires, you have Zimmerman, and then you throw Boyd in that fifth spot. And so obviously, with Zimmerman's money, you have to let the guy pitch every fifth day. the 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 issue for me, and as I said, like Lariano has been has been good. I mean, he's as a guy that you can plug in there, and like your if you want to call him your fourth or fifth pitcher. He's been fine. I think the thing that that bothered me was then you bring in a guy like Mike Fires, who he's been average this year. But I want to see these young guys pitch. If there's one thing about the Tigers organization, they have some great, great prospects, like an Alex Fierro or a Bo Burrows or a Matt Manning. These these are like their top ten prospects are essentially like their pitchers, and so. I don't wanna to continue to see this theme of 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 signing older guys to a one year, two year deal, these veterans who have been proven. I'd rather see guys like like Matt Boyd or a Daniel Norris get time and it, it stinks. Daniel Norris I feel like is is always hurt and it and it stinks because I don't think he gets a fair crack at the starting rotation. They moved him to the bullpen before he got hurt my patience is kind of running thin with Boyd and Norris. I think Boyd had a pretty good start, a career high nine strikeouts in his last start against Seattle. But I still see things of Boyd leaving balls up in the zone. I don't think his stuff's there on a consistent basis. My patience is running thin with Boyd and Norris. And if you have to move the guys to the bullpen, then do it because I think there's still quality arms to have. But these are guys that, that really need to prove themselves. But back to my point about the veteran pitchers they bring in, Like I want to see these young guys pitch. I don't care if if they go out and, and lose a bunch of games. They're not expected to win anyway, but you need to eventually, when the timing's right, have the young guys pitch, let them do their thing, and see what they are. Because there's so many prospects and so many arms in the farm system that if a guy like an Alex Fajardo doesn't work out, then you still have a bunch of guys that you can you can put in front of him and you can maybe trade him away and whatever. I, I, I don't want to get too much into like the trading Fulmer stuff. We can talk about that as the deadline approaches, but I, I don't think there's any reason to get rid of a Fulmer because he's an, he's an arm that you hope you find when the rebuilding happens. But continuing on with the pitching, I mean, Jimenez has been hot. I think he could move to the closer role pretty soon. I mean, it, it'd be nice if they... If they end up trading Shane Green, which I could see happening, I don't necessarily want him to go, but I could see them moving a Shane Green at the deadline, similar to how they moved Justin Wilson last year. And Jimenez can take over that closer role, and I think he can really run away with it. And that would be, and that's now. I mean, Rondone didn't really work out. He's kind of the same guy as Jimenez, where he's a bigger guy that just throws absolute gasoline. So. I think the Jimenez project has been working out. I think he's had a great attitude as far as he's really gotten in better shape over the summer or over the off season I should say and uh and he's he's he loves that you know that we compete he he he's all about competing and 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 wanting to get better which i which I love so I think that him and Shane Green in the back end have been pretty darn good and if you if you move Shane Green at the deadline, which again i I mean I think he's still a young guy with some good talent left in him. I honestly wish they would have kept him, you know, tried to work on him as a starter still. But whatever, he's in the closing role now. I think that he's a name we could, we they could see, uh, we could see get moved at the deadline. And but Jimenez will fill out that that role pretty nicely. The bullpen, the bullpen is still an issue, and it's it really seems like it always is. But I think Stumpf and Stumpf and Sawpold get most of the work. Alex Wilson struggled, but I, the thing with the bullpen for me. Is I want to see someone run out of the bullpen that as a hitter I would be afraid to hit against. Like Jimenez, yeah, yeah, he's I mean, the dude is huge and and he throws, like I said, the guy throws absolute gasoline. So I he's someone who I, you know, when you hear his music come on, you're like, oh boy, I gotta face him. Shane Green, eh, maybe that effect. But I look around the league and it maybe more so it's easier to say with like closers, but a guy like, you know, Craig Kimbrell or, or, or these guys that just come or are enrolled this champion that come out of the bullpen and you're afraid to hit against these guys. I don't think the Tigers really have that in the bullpen right now. And they've been using Stumpf and Sawpole to probably get the most amount of work, see the most innings. I think they've been fine. I think, you know, Stumpf is a good lefty who throws hard. He brings a great energy to the mound. But I also would like to see some more lefties in the bullpen too. But that's time for, that. you know, that's another conversation. But, but I, I don't think they really have those guys that come out of the bullpen and just and scare you. And then and the thing with the bullpen that just there's guys that go up and down and the Blaine Hardy's and the Chad Bells and the and they just bounce up and down and no one can seem to really prove themselves to play effectively at the MLB level. And so that's where the focus needs to be. And I'm getting really sick of talking about the bullpen because it's been an issue for forever, I feel like. And so and so that's a big thing. But as as I mentioned before, there's a lot of good arms in in pretty even pretty low down in the farm system, and and I think the future is is promising. And and for now, I think the focus needs to be on the pitching. I think the bats will come around with time as guys get swings in. I think, as I said, Reyes is really the only guy I've seen at bat. You know, Mikey Mata, he is what he is. He's not a young guy. He's I put him in the same category as Leonis Martin, who's a guy you can run in the lineup, who has a great probably veteran leadership, a veteran presence, who can defensively be very serviceable in the outfield. But Matuk's batting around like sub two hundred and he's spent some time in AAA, A, so so I, I get it. But I think the bats will come around with reps, guys like Machado, who I think, you know, people are are kind of are really losing patience with his bat, but he's you know he's batting mid to low two hundreds, and I think defensively he's athletic. Uh, he he brings a great presence. You got to think of guys like Grayson Griner, who I don't know how they'll mix him in with with James McCam, behind the plate. But even a guy like John Hicks, who has been seeing some time at first base, who who is batting really you know high two hundreds, right around the three hundred level, and he's had some some big hits and some big spots too, like a Nico Goodrum. And so I think that as time goes on. He's maybe a guy who you think of like wow is is this the guy that will take over at first base for Mickey? because and and i'll I'll save a lot of this for for future shows, but my my thing is is you have to look at what you have right now but also be conscious of the future. I don't know I could see Mickey retiring here as a tiger, I really could I could also see at some point the Tigers eating some of the contract and getting rid of him because realistically like Miggy's great and all, but I think that while he still has some value once he comes back from the injury and I can't believe I'm saying this because last year I was like, why, why would you trade Miggy? That's ridiculous. I think his time is about up here just from a standpoint of you have to look team first. So even if that's not the case, yeah, I, this is, this is Victor's last year in Detroit, whether or not he tries to milk out another year or two elsewhere, that's good for him. I think people people jump on Victor so heavily, and and he had he has really had some great years here. He is what he is. He's an older guy. He has terrible knees. He can barely run to first base. We all know. Everyone knows. We're everyone's on the same page with Victor. So I'd appreciate it if everyone would just calm down. The guy makes too much money to have him sit on the bench. He has to DH for you every single day. It is what it is. I know the, the name that that everyone for some reason is talking about is Christian Stewart, who's in triple A Toledo right now. He's batting 302. He's got 29 RBIs. He allegedly will be your next DH, but he he plays the outfield. And granted, I think the scouting report on him, as I've been reading, is he doesn't have a great arm, but he's an athletic guy. He's got some decent speed. I think he's a guy who's kind of been late in the development process. But You have to let him get reps in the outfield in AAA because realistically, if he can prove himself in the outfield, then he can be a guy that comes up that you play, I don't know, in left field to where you don't have to use a Matuk or you send Reyes down to get more work. And so if you want him to be the DH, unless Victor gets hurt, which let's be honest, at some point this year, he probably will get hurt. Then sure, bring him up. I think that you'll see Christian Stewart in a Tigers uniform in September but for now, Victor's your DH. Let Christian Stewart get work at the AAA level, especially when it comes to defensive side. What I'm looking at though, is is more so at first base, and they've they've used John Hicks at first. And look, Mickey's a bigger guy. Sure, he's not the greatest athlete, but he's a pretty darn good defensive first baseman. I think when it comes to picking balls in the dirt, he's he's as good as they get. Um, sure, you know, he doesn't have a great range, but Eventually, if Miggy were to go, or if you were to keep Miggy around, let's let's just say this is a hypothetical. Victor's contract expires. If you go to Miggy or Miggy comes to you and says, Look, I I don't want to be playing at first base anymore. It's not good for my body. I just let me hit. You can move Miggy to the DH spot, and then you leave first base open, and that's where you can see a guy like John Hicks. Because now, I mean, John Hicks obviously spends time behind the plate, but now with Grayson Griner coming up another catcher, you're looking at James McCann, John Hicks, and Grayson Griner. So I don't know if you trade a guy. I, have, I haven't even heard anything about trading a guy like McCann. I think he's a great leader, and he's had a great offensive year, and he's a great defensive catcher too. But when you have three catchers like that that can both, can all realistically play Major League Baseball, I don't know what you do with that. I don't know if you make Hicks your everyday first baseman as long as his back continues to be hot and you have Griner just back up McCam having a backup catcher on the roster. But then that brings me to what I think is the biggest question mark in Nick Castellanos. I, look, I think Nick Castellanos, I think he, he, you know what, I'm kind of in between because I feel like sometimes Castellanos looks like he doesn't want to be out there, and I think some of the swings he takes at bat are just really poor efforts. But I, I get it. he's a he can hit the ball well. He's proven that he can hit well. He's a bat, he's a bat that you need to have in the lineup, which brings me back to the DH thing. If you get rid of Miggy, period, to where he's not your first baseman, he's not your DH, he's not a tiger, I would have no problem with having Nick Castellano's DH. Because quite frankly, I remember being at games last year watching this guy play third base and, and he is just He's truly incapable of playing third base. I think Condalario has already shown he's much better at third than Castellanos, and so you get forced to throw Nick right and right, and truly it just the routes he takes to some of the balls and and, and balls that he he just can't get to because he's not fast enough. It's it's frustrating, and I think that one of the biggest moves you have to make is you you and Pete. I know there's a lot of people that disagree with me. He cannot be your right fielder for the future. If you want to make J- Jacoby Jones your center fielder every day, sure, but I don't know if that leaves you know even even Nico Goodrum hasn't looked great in right field. Uh, he's you know he's some some just the routes and the and I know Nick's got a good arm too, but um but. Yeah, I I don't know what you do in that circumstance because again, if you have a guy like Hicks play first base and Miggy DHing, then you gotta keep Nick and Wright or you gotta put him at third, but you can't because Candelario's there. So my thing is, and the more and more I think about it, is if you get rid of Miggy, you can agent Castellanos, have Hicks at first, or vice versa. I think you can eventually, and we might see Nick Castellanos turn into the everyday first baseman, and and who knows? Who knows if if, if that's a better role for him, but 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 that's that's the issue. So that's that's all I have on the Tigers so far. Obviously they are in season right now, so we will continue to talk about them on the Motown rundown. Uh I, my my last words with the Tigers is just don't don't sleep on the Tigers. Keep supporting them. I think as I've as I've said before, the only thing we really have in the city of Detroit is is hope. And I know that that the uh that the landscape of Detroit sports has maybe not seemed promising or or how it used to be in the glory days, if you can call call it glory days, at all. But keep supporting the team. This will be a fun team to watch, and I'm excited to to see where they go as the season progresses. So, wow, that's it for episode one. Thank you for tuning in. I I, I appreciate you you taking this journey with me, whether you listen for five minutes or the entire the, the entirety of of the podcast with this episode of again episode 1 historic day of the motown rundown uh like i said in the future i'd love to get the audience involved we'll we'll have some conversations maybe we'll we'll bring some uh some some other guys in here to to you know to do, to talk the dish around the d and 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 we'll we'll hash out some detroit sports cuz we have a lot to talk about uh a lot of things moving forward and some expectations and some moves that we will probably see in the future as far as what the Pistons do with the coaching staff and how the Wings, how they draft and the Tigers season and and the Lions. But but thank you thank you for tuning in today. I, I had a ton of fun doing this episode and I, I truly, truly cannot wait to continue to do episodes in the future. And so that's all for episode one of the Motown Rundown. Let's be honest, Detroit sports fans, we need each other. Well, like I said, we'll laugh, we'll cry, we'll share opinions. So tune in next time to episode two. But as I said... I'm your host, Ryan Rabinowitz. That's all for Episode 1 of the Motown Rundown.